week's episode of Talking to Mod is sponsored by the Coffee Mod. Don't just dress like an ace face, drink like one too. They're also giving our listeners 15% off when you use the promo code MAGICMOD15. So what are you waiting for? How are we doing everyone and welcome to episode 17 of Talking to Mod. This week we have Sanjeev Kohli who plays the iconic character in Steel Game, Navid, the shopkeeper. You know him, you love him and this is a dream come true to have this gentleman on the show. So ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax and enjoy episode 17 of Talking to Mod. Hello mate, how are you? I'm grand, how are you? doing yeah absolute pleasure to meet you mate and thank you very much for uh agreeing to come on this and chat a load of bollocks for the next half hour <laughs> is it exclusively bollocks or can we talk shit as well mate we can talk anything that's what that's the beauty of this i mean this started i'll give you a little background with it right so about i've i've toyed with the idea probably for a, a few years now but it was actually paul weller's idea i was with him one day and he was saying you should do a podcast. You're good at chatting and all this pattern and stuff like that. And I, at the time, I, I thought, oh, I could work. I'm not really too sure. I was too into my drinking days back then. Do you know what I mean? And now I'm sober these days. I'm like, actually, it's a good idea. I should really run with this. So that's the background of it, mate. But it, it's literally just getting people on who I either like their music, I love what they do, or just they used to play for a football team that I've loved. Do you know what I mean? So it's all people that I would love to have a chat with. Yeah. But do it over a podcast, you know what I mean? It's brilliant. Get away with it that way, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, go on, mate. Which football team do you think I played for then? Uh, oh, didn't you used to play for Fulham? This is a true story, by the way, right? So, uh, Glasgow, a few years ago, um, I've got a meeting in the Radisson Hotel in the centre of town, right? Right. And, um, and it's mobbed. And what's going on? There's people waiting outside. What's going on here? So, it goes in, right? And I asked the guy, the security guy, I said, What's, why is all these people queued outside? He said, Barcelona here. They're playing Celtic, right? And I, of course, I'm a Celtic fan, I should have known this. But Barcelona are staying in the Radisson. Yeah, Messi's upstairs. He's upstairs. And then I saw the, kind of the wall of flesh. I thought, okay, right, yeah. There's like 20 massive guys standing in the, like a ring of steel. But yeah, so clearly, yeah, Barcelona, right? So, so anyway, I did my meeting in the kind of foyer bit, right? And I came back out. And then it being Glasgow, I got recognised, right? So a few people came up and got selfies and whatnot. And then this this scout lad comes up and says, "Are you famous?" And I, I was tempted to say to him, "Well, that's an ironic question. The very fact you have to ask means that I'm not." You know what I mean? But I thought I'll not go down that. I'll not chase that rabbit down that hole. I said, um, "I said, well, I am and I'm not." I said, um, "I mean, are you a football fan?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I said, well, I mean, you may or may not be aware of me. Um, I'm the only British guy in the Barcelona squad. Now, I travel with them. <laughs> I travel with them, but I, don't, I generally don't get a game. And I kind of play midfield. So there's a guy, there's this guy, Lionel, that's quite good. So I tend not to get a match, but I'll travel with them. And I had him going for maybe 43 seconds. And he looked at me and says, nah, mate, no. You could just see. I was not an athlete. But I had him going for a bit. I had him going for a bit. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Away from that, for him to have thought, hey mate, I just met the British bloke to play for Barcelona. No, <laughs> I saw this video right. Uh, bring me up to that. I saw this video recently on Twitter where this guy was being mobbed by people. I think I can't think. It was like Crystal Palace were playing somewhere like uh, Spain or somewhere like that, and he had the full Crystal Palace training kit on. And all these people were getting selfies and he was signing like t-shirts and that. He didn't even pay for him. He was just a fan, <laughs> but people thought he did. Phenomenal. I mean, when the moments like that happen, you've got to take them really. Oh, you've got to take them. You've got to. Yeah. 100%. Makes a good story, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I just, I've just worked with Robin Asquith. Oh, I. So, so you know what I'm talking yeah. about, yeah? So, yeah. So, so a, a legendary actor. I mean, he, he, did, he did a lot of these kind of like sex comedies and farces. Brilliant actor, though, and really, really well respected in the business. So, so I just came back last week. I was filming in Malta, of all places. It's a thing called the Madame Blanc Mysteries, which is, they film it out there. It's set in the south of France, but they film it in Malta. And um, so Robert Nasquith's there, chatting away to him. And he didn't tell me the story, but someone else on the cast told me. He said, has he told you his Jimi Hendrix story? I said, what, what Jimi Hendrix story? He said, so, you know, in, I don't know, maybe 67, whatever, 
uh, Robin Asquith goes to see Jimi Hendrix playing in London at the Roundhouse or something. I, can't, I don't know what the venue was, right? And Jimi Hendrix spots him and, and basically gets him to come over and says to him, Got, mate, we've got a jam after the show. Come to my dressing room, we'll jam. I said, yeah, I'll jam with you, Jimi Hendrix. I mean, I'm not, not very good, but I'll jam with you. So um, he goes up to his dressing room. Um, it very quickly transpires that Jimi Hendrix thought that he was um, Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones. Oh, my God. <laughs> and at no point did Robin Asquith disabuse him of this notion. So I think he managed to get away with not playing the guitar, but get away with being Brian Jones. And then, and then uh, so yeah, he got away. It's funny. How, it, 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 I love people that get away with stuff. You know what I mean? Like in life, it's so hard, especially now. It's so hard to. It's so easy to disprove things oh. on Wikipedia and whatnot. But if you can get away with a well placed lie, I think fair play to you. As long as no one's hurt, obviously. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I've been living a lie <laughs> in my career for the last ninety, like sixteen odd years. Do you know what I mean? I tell people I'm a good magician until they watch me. No, but no, the thing is, you're, 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 the beauty of what you do is, and I'm glad that people like you exist, is just the, the theatre of what you do and the fact that, you know, you know, I, I, just, I just love the guys that you exist. It, it, it's, it's a proper kind of, I think it speaks to the inner child and everyone, do you know what I mean? Right. Um, I think it cuts through layers of like, you know, we get older, we build up these layers of cynicism and like, you know, fuck you talking about, and then you, someone like you comes along, cuts right through it. You must see it in people's reactions. They just become kids again, don't they? Well, that's, that's the beauty of it. That's what I always say. Like, people say, why do you do it and that? And I say, because for the, the moment of time that I'm doing the trick, it could be a minute, it could be a few minutes, but they forget about everything. That could be their bill problems, whatever they've got going on indoors. It just makes you zone out and just enjoy the moment of magic. And it sort of brings you back to, as you said, like being a kid again, like opening your first present on Christmas Day. And I love that, man. I proper love yeah, that. But the- they're soon reminded of their monetary problems and you've had their Rolex off the right? I Exactly, yeah. Oh, you've heard about that story, oh, yeah. have you? <laughs> this is why I'm doing this virtually, mate. Try, yeah, yeah, try yeah. and nick this. Try and nick that bad boy. Where are you, by the way? I'm in Belfast. Right, you're in Belfast. Right? I'm in Glasgow. If you can nick this watch, if you can nick this watch, you're straight to the top of the magic circle, mate. I don't think I've got one like that. We could have done something that really oh, looked oh. cool. We should, I should have messaged you before. Oh, we could have had something set up. You mean these things are set up? No, no, not in my set. Not in oh, my no. set. <laughs> but they're right. Have you seen that? There's a, what was it? The Magicians, I think it is. The, the guy from, um, what's his name? My mind's gone blank. Uh, he was in Peep Show. David. Mitchell. Yeah, he, him and yes. the other bloke. And, and Robert Webb, the guys from Peep Show, that's right, yeah. And Olivia Collins in it as well. There's it? a few, man. Yeah, yeah. there is. And, and there's this one where <laughs> he gets this geezer up. And he says, right, you're going to be the stooge. You've got to come up on the stage. And the bloke goes, right, what I do is I do this little stumble I do when I come off the last step. It'll be brilliant. And the thing is, when he goes to do it, he gives him a wink to then do the stumble like a Norman Wisdom yeah. trick, right? The geezer actually does a trip, falls over and cracks his head and he's, he's passed out and he has, to, he has to pick another volunteer and the trick goes completely wrong. That's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, I recommend that if you haven't yeah. watched it. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But you've... I was going to ask you what you've been doing recently, but you mentioned a bit there. But I, I know you've been doing a few um, evenings with, haven't you? Like doing yeah. your own little show. How have them been going? Really there? good. Really good. I mean, we're lucky that, um, first of all, so where are you from in the world? I'm from West Sussex originally, but I met my, my partner and she sort of kidnapped me and brought me to Belfast. Oh, right. Okay. Because it, I'm really gratified when someone with your accent likes Still Game. I love it, man. Because... I know that we've got like we've, it's massive in Scotland and weirdly hugely football massive in Scotland, but then we've got fans. We tend to have fans in the northwest and northeast, um, Belfast, Dublin as well. Um, so, yeah, um, we um, we're on Netflix now, uh, and we seem to have like got a really really quite big vaguely international audience. But we've been doing these shows around Scotland mainly. Although we did one in Blackpool. And we're going to be doing some shows down south. And we're going to Belfast, hopefully. Come to Belfast. I'll be there, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'd love to go to Dublin as well. I was filming in Dublin um, three weeks ago, and a guy stopped me in the street and said, when are you going to bring a show to Dublin? I said, mate, if there's enough of you, we'll bring the show to Dublin. But basically, all it really is, is it's, it's an audience with, so it's the five cast members um, that aren't Ford and Greg, because they've kind of got their own thing, because they're, 
they're promoting their whiskey and their gin, so they're kind of busy enough. Mm. But the other five, so it's myself, um, Jane uh, McCarry that plays Isaac, yeah. Gab Mitchell plays Bobby, Paul Riley that plays uh, Winston, and Mark Cox that plays Tam. Um, we, yeah, basically, it's it's two, the show of two halves. There's a brilliant stand-up called Bill Dewar that will interview us first half. Kind of obvious things about, you know, how you go on to the show, what we you know, what it's meant to you sort of thing. And then second half, it's uh, people can ask questions from the floor. And um, it's really nice to be part of a comedy that, comedy that people feel that they own. You know, they really, really go for it and they feel really connected to it, really seems to resonate with people. So we've been getting lovely reactions where we've been going and people seem to travel for it. I mean, given what the show is, I mean, there's no pyrotechnics, you know what I mean? There's no bass guitar. Um, there's no drum risers. It's just five people on a stage talking. Kind of almost like a live podcast, you know what I mean? But people have come from Plymouth, Belfast, you know, over the water sort of thing, hmm. uh, and they've come. There's that much affection for the show, and I can be objective about it because I'm a fan of the show as well as being in it. So I, I've got that distance as well. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not being arrogant here. I'm like, whoa, I can't believe that people have travelled to see this, and I'm lucky enough to be in it, and I'm very happy to talk about it because it's opened a lot of doors for me. It's been been great for me um, and I love playing that character, I love being on the show, I love getting those killer lines, I love delivering them I love hanging about with these comic geniuses I love seeing the words of Ford and Greg who are up there with the best comedy writers that have ever been spawned so I mean, jammy, get here so I'm happy to talk to people because I'm almost like, I can't believe I got away with this and I'm happily, you know, share the stories, that's the other thing we, we, we've worked together since 2001, so we you know we're, we're proper friends and it's, it's hard to manufacture that chemistry. Brilliant. Especially in comedy, you hear stories about double acts that don't get on, mm. you know, and, but we genuinely get on with pals and I think that comes across as well and you'll know yourself as a performer, if you're enjoying what you're doing, it's infectious. If an audience sense that you're not enjoying it or if you're in any way nervous, they feed off that. But with what we do, we're pals, we're on stage, telling stories, loving it and um, yes, it's been going well, it's been going well. Brilliant. I can't wait to see that. And this is how much of a big fan I am of Steel Game, right? I didn't really want to bring it up. Me and the missus were talking before. She was like, don't be all fanboy and all stuff like that. Don't tell I welcome like... it. I welcome oh, it. Oh, well, all through the pregnancy, when we um, had little Lonnie, you know, she was all going through the pregnancy and binge eating ice cream and that, we binge watched Steel Game, like, God knows how many times, where it got to the point where she said, when Lonnie's born, he's going to come out and he'll want to go to the Klansman. And, I, and it got that bad that I thought, when we were talking about names, I just threw in Naveed for a laugh. And she was, she actually thought I was being serious. And I was like, hang about it. Is there a chance we could? Can we? Like, honestly, massive fans of it, man. What and, was the stop? You know, you should have done it. I know. Uh, well, we, Lonnie, it was always going to be Lonnie after Lonnie Donegan. I just love that name. Well, I was going to say, I'm assuming it was Lonnie Donegan, yeah. proud Scottish uh, connection there as well. Aye, Lots exactly. Boy, Lonnie, yeah. yeah, and that was from my dad, really, because he got me into it at a young age. So I loved that name. I just thought it was brilliant. Yeah, it's a good name. I mean, it's, you, you, I mean, I can't think of a Lonnie that I know personally. In fact, no, I can only think of Lonnie Donegan, even, you know, like a person I know of. It's right. called Lonnie. And, that, and that's it. When people often ask, they say, oh, what's his name? And we say Lonnie. As soon as you say that, people always say, well, after Lonnie Donegan. And yeah. they look at us thinking, you don't know who he is. And I'm like, I may not have, but my dad did. And he got me into it. Do you know what I mean? So brilliant. Well, I'll tell you what, my, young, my son, my youngest, is called Vinny, right? The thing is, it's, it's an old Indian name. So it's V-I-N-A-Y. And it's, I mean, it sounds like it's like Italian, like my cousin Vinny, right? But yeah. when it's spelled that way, it's Indian. But when you tell people your son's called Vinny, the only Vinny they can think of is Vinny Jones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you named yourself after, after Vinny Jones? And yeah, I deliberately picked a hard carrying <laughs> bricky of a footballer. Yeah, that's who I picked to name my son after, because that's how I think. Do you <laughs> honestly think I named my kid after Vinny Jones? Behave yourself. And then you have to call <laughs> them and explain the whole thing. But yeah, Vinny, yeah, Vinny Jones. Yeah, of course I named my kid after Vinny Good. Jones. Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> when you were growing up, did you have any comedy heroes of yours? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, bear in mind, I was really, really shy and studious. I was kind of like that guy, kind of straight A's guy at school, um, and and not a performer in the slightest. I mean, very, very shy. But I loved comedy and music; those were my two loves. Uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when there's only three channels on telly. I mean, I was 12 years old when Channel 4 arrived. Do you know I mean, I'm that vintage. So um, any music or comedy that came on the box, me and my brothers absolutely lapped up. We taped it on a VHS. Remember them? Yeah. Um, so my, my early hero would have been, well, Billy Connolly would have been a very early hero, and he's still my hero. Uh, Eric Morecambe, Morecambe and Wise, uh, yeah, Rodney Barker and Rodney Corbett, um, you know, Les Dawson. I mean, oh. the, you know, the, the big hitters. You know, Joe, you know even a grudging admiration for Bernard Manning, right? Not for his material, but for his precision. I mean, you couldn't fault his comic timing. You couldn't fault his delivery. You could absolutely fault where he was coming from, basically. Yeah. Yeah. People don't know this. The first time that Bernard Manning was on television, he was on a show called The Comedians. And he did a routine that was completely non-racist and non-sexist. It was like really innocent jokes. It was like jokes like um, two blokes uh, looking after the round box by the lake. And uh, one of them shouts with a megaphone. He gets a megaphone. He says, um, uh, <clears throat> number 91, uh, could you come in, please? And his mate says, we've only got 18 bolts. He says, number 16, are you in trouble? You know, so really, really innocent jokes, and he was totally killing it. I thought, why, just do that. Why did you have to offend people? And, you know, anyway. So, yeah, so that was kind of like uh, early. And then when the young ones arrived, and how old are you? I'm 33. Okay, right. So I remember the, the young ones. The young ones, sorry. So you, you'll remember it going out, but you'll have seen like you know repeats or whatever. Yeah. So I was twelve, thirteen years old when the young ones came out, and it was the first time that something had spoken to me. I mean, I was still a bit young because it's probably aimed at maybe seventeen, eighteen plus. But I was thirteen, but I thought, oh my god, this is amazing. These guys are amazing. This is like a, this is like a live action cartoon, but with high end comedy, physical and verbal comedy. It's very obvious that these four performers were amazing and the writing was brilliant and you know, Rick May and Aid Edmondson and Nigel Planer and uh, just Chris Ryan, amazing, amazing cast and, and, and all the little cameos, Dawn French, Jennifer Saunders, Lenny Henry, all the bands that you know were on it as well, Motorhead, uh, Madness, uh, um, Amazulu, uh, God, Nine Below Zero, they were an early mod band, weren't they, going back? And um, it was just like, appointment television i i kind of became known as the young ones bore in the playground like the next day do you see what rick said do you see what rick did um so i i, I had this real yearning to lap up any comedy that was on telly um all through my childhood really and that that went on to you know getting a bit older and getting obsessed with steve coogan and chris morris and armando nucci that kind of thing um sketch shows like big train and absolutely and um yeah uh, it was Unbeknownst to me, that was my education. I mean, I my original plan was I was going to be a doctor. I mean, that was I I, I got all, all my exams and I got into university uh, Glasgow Medical School and I started a medical degree and I hated it and I chucked it in. I did a maths degree. That's what I actually did at uni. <clears throat> um, but what happened was after I got my degree, I fell into radio presenting and um, very quickly found that my default setting was comedy in terms of writing like links to the show I was doing. Because it wasn't a comedy show that I was presenting, it was like a magazine show. But I would make sure that I wrote the links because I wanted to enjoy the experience and no one was listening to the show. So I thought I'll make myself laugh, I'll make the woman on the side of the glass laugh because no one's listening. And quickly found that actually I had learned how to deliver comedy and write comedy without even knowing it, just from watching so much stuff. And then when I got into um, comedy writing, as a result of that, I was approached to write for um, a sketch show. And I said, well, I've never, I've never written a sketch in my life, but I've watched about 50,000 sketches, you know. I've watched all the Pythons. I've watched all the, a bit of Fry and Laurie. I can work out how to write a comedy sketch. And that's what I did. I kind of worked out how to write comedy sketches. And this was for like a Scottish football sketch show thing called On the Ball. And that was what really what led to Chewing the Fat, which I'm sure you know. Of course, I did. Yeah. The precursor of Still Game. So I used to write for Chewing the Fat, um, uh, and I was in. I was. In, I'm in one Chewing the Fat sketch. So do you remember the, they were called the Banter Boys? It was Ford and Greg playing. We're just here for the banter. Yeah. And it was one sketch, and I think it was in a festive special, like the Christmas special, where um, they go to an Indian restaurant. We want it mad nippy hot. I say mad nippy hot, and I'm the waiter that talks them through the, 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 the menu in this broad Glasgow accent. So that was one and only time I'm in Chewing the Fat, but yeah, I used to write stuff. I used to write the Lonely Shopkeeper character that Karen Dunbar played. I used to write the um, 
there's a, a sketch show called Sports Socks, where it's about a guy who sells sports socks standing on a crate in a Gulf Street in Glasgow, taking his business plan to bank manager. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote that one. Um, and we used to write, Donnie McCleary, who's my writing partner, who I write on my Radio 4 show, Fags, Mags and Bags, we wrote together and we used to write, um, we called them the Dixon's Boys. They were basically, do you know when, when you go to Dixon's or Curry's, if they still exist, if you, go, you basically go to like electrical shop, right? And you bought the thing and then they try and sell you the fucking warranty, right? <laughs> You're in that zone. They're trying to sell you the warranty, right? Suddenly they've got, they've got hold of your first name and they hammer it into the ground. So... So if your name's, let's say your name's Lonnie, right? Okay, all right, Lonnie, how you doing, Lonsdale? All right, Lonnie, Donnie, Donnegan. And they'll, they'll take your name and they'll play with it and they'll paint themselves into a corner. And I love that observation about how by repeating your, your name, they think they're getting, yeah. you know, the, the kind of bar to you and, and, and ingratiating themselves with you and they tie themselves in knots. So um, wrote those sketches. So yeah, then that was what led to Still Game in the end. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let, let's talk a bit more about Steel Game, honestly, because I know you said you could talk about it forever and you're so grateful of the doors oh. it's opened. And oh, yeah. I, I'm so grateful that you've, <laughs> you've joined me with this because I love the show, as you know. And I remember I did a tweet once and I think this is how you, you we, we ended up following each other. I think I gave you a follow. I, I saw you on Twitter and then you followed me back and I was like, my, my partner, Nadine, I was like, Nadine, you're never going to guess who's followed me on Twitter. <laughs> from Steel Game she listed every single person apart from you and I was like you're taking a piss here who's, who's my favourite character and then she's like Naveed I was like yeah has he got Twitter and straight away went on Twitter and followed you I was like no but can we go back to the news that he's followed me <laughs> honestly I was buzzing mate but uh, let's talk a bit more about that fantastic show and um, I want to say I, like I'm sure many other people, would put Steel Game up there with Only Fools and Horses and the Greats. And Naveed plays such a key role in how the show is, you know, how fantastic the show is. And that must be brilliant to be like a comedy icon in that show, mate. I, I can't tell you. I mean, like, it, it was weird as well because I, in as much as by that point, so that was 2001, 2002, and um, I had been... I guess, working in comedy for maybe six, seven years by that point. You know, quite obscure stuff, though, you know, like stuff on Radio Scotland that I liked, but no one was really listening to it, kind of critically acclaimed, but wasn't really kind of catching fire. And then you're in this show. Now, the thing about Still Game, as you know, is that it came from Chewing the Fat. Now, the thing is, it didn't come directly from Chewing the Fat. The actual backstory for Still Game was, was it existed as a stage play in 1997. So Ford and Greg had written this three-hander featuring Jack, Victor, and Winston, right? And it was all set in one um, room in the high-rise flat. And there was a subplot with the with the Hoover bag full of money. And it was just literally the three of them for, for the whole, whatever it was, an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, in fact, you know the, um, the Still Game episode is one of the later ones where uh, Jack and Victor get the keys for Naveed's caravan. Yes. They the story South Africa that that's one. it yeah that is that was taken from the stage play it was like a callback to the original fans that had seen the stage play way back that is from there so it was, it was a nice little easter egg for anyone that knew the show inside out right so um uh yeah I think you could probably still get that on YouTube or, or DVD or whatever anyway so still game already existed at the stage play and then when Tune the Fat arrived Ford and Greg cherry picked Jack and Victor to be characters in recurring sketches. But then they also brought in two other old guys to do, to do the songs. So you remember there's the four of them doing the His Majesty's Home for the Blind and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Back and Victor and two other unnamed guys who end up being Tam and Tam Winston, and yeah? So when Tune the Fat finished and, uh, uh, and uh, Still Game was the thing, um, basically uh, Greg and Ford approached me Oh, no, that's the other thing I missed out a bit as well. So when I'm writing for Chewing the Fat, okay, um, round about the millennium, so it's kind of straddled the millennium, 99, 2000, 2001, um, Ford approached me because um, Ford, Greg and I all live where I'm sitting now. We all live quite near each other in the West End of Glasgow. And we all went to the same um, shop that was run by an Asian family. It was a father and son. And uh, the dad was unintentionally hilarious. Turned out drunk most of the time. 
the son was a bit different, right? The son was this kind of charming guy, quite handsome. I went to university with him. He used to wear like purple Versace shirts and say to the girls, uh, do you want some black magic? It's a chocolate. <laughs> he was quite charming. But the dad was funny unintentionally. And Ford, being Ford, can do amazing impersonations of, of anyone. And he's such a great mimic. And he could do this great Glasgow Asian accent. And he said, look, Sanj, would it be really off if I, as in Ford, played uh, a, a, an Asian shopkeeper? Now now he'd be cancelled, right? Yeah, but yeah. Back, back then, what I said to him was, I said, look, you do a bang-up impersonation of this guy. It's not like you're trying to impersonate a whole race of people. You're impersonating one person, right? I personally don't have a problem with that. I think it's really funny. And if you want to help help with writing the character, then I'm your guy, because I know shops inside out. I'm obsessed with them, right? I am obsessed with shops, because our family had one, you know? We were Asian, it's in the small print. You know? I mean, you don't get it unless you want a shop for these two years. So um, I'm obsessed with shops. So um, anyway, it did come to pass, probably thankfully. And then Tuna Fat finished, still came, was going to be the next thing. And then the boys approached me again and they said, oh, do you remember that shopkeeper character we talked about? I said, well, look, mate, my offer still stands. If you want to help writing the character, I'm your guy. And he said, no, do you want to have a go playing him? Um, and I went, yeah. And then, because I was like thinking, obviously this is, brilliant because this is going to be huge. I mean, we didn't know how huge it was going to become right but we didn't know it was going to be popular because tune the fat was already established uh, and everyone loved these jack and victor characters but they they knew jack and victor and they maybe knew the two other older guys that sang the songs what they didn't know was isa bobby or navid or mina and you could argue that of, of, of those newbies navid and mina were the most newbie of the newbie because you know who had seen a Scottish Asian character on television, right? So I'm thinking it's a lot of responsibility here. It could die in its arse. And if it does, that'll be on me. Because it won't be Jack and Victor's fault. Everyone loves yeah. them. So if the thing fails for any reason, it might, you know, I'm a natural catastrophizer, right? I'm just a pessimistic guy. So I just think of the worst. But of course I said yes. I'm not going to say no to doing the thing. And then um, Greg said to me, look, it's really funny when you impersonate your dad. So if you imagine... Navid with a turban, right? Because I come from a Sikh family. And, yeah. and all the men in my family, apart from me, wear turbans, right? So my, my dad, the only thing about my dad is he's not Glaswegian. I mean, my mum and dad came over to the UK in in 66. So my dad was already, I think, 30, 31 at that point. And then we kicked about West London where, where I was born. Uh, and then um, he got a, a job in Glasgow teaching. And that's why he moved to Glasgow when I was three. So my dad was already mid-30s before he came to Glasgow, so he never really picked up the Glasgow accent, right? So my dad speaks like this, you see. He dead, you cheeky bugger. We're going to Metro to buy a lump of Jesus size of a box of Leicester. So that's how my dad speaks it. So I knew that if I could just beat it up, you know what I mean? Because I, I used to date. I mean, I, where I grew up in Glasgow was actually a pretty vanilla neighbourhood, okay? There's a place called Bishop Briggs, which is kind of white, okay? Uh, and then I got sent to a Catholic school, so not many Asians there either. But, w w when, w but when I got to college in sixth year, I went to a place called Langside College, and that was a big old Asian area. So I was hanging about with guys that spoke like this, and they, they had a total that they, they had the Glasgow thing going on, but also the Asian thing going on. And I would listen to these guys speaking. And there was one guy in particular, right? his name was Said, and you'd say to me, thing is, Sanjeev, right? I've got cousins, right? They play hockey. If anybody wrongs me, they break their fucking legs with hockey sticks. Yeah, I'm lapping this up because I'm loving how the two worlds are colliding in this guy's accent. He's really Glasgow, but he's also really Pakistani. And I love when two things come together like that and create a third thing. You know what I mean? It's like any kind of culture clash, like strawberries and balsamic vinegar, bad example. But you know what I mean? It's great when you get this third thing that kind of emerges. And so I must have gone to my hard drive. So... When it came to Naveed, I played it like my dad, but I veeded it up a bit and just do that wee thing, you know, you junkie bastard. It's, you know, and then then and Naveed has formed. And um, thankfully, it worked. Um, but also just because of the way that, you know, and, and I have to say from the bat, because people say, oh, do you write Naveed? I do not write a single word of Naveed. It's all Ford and Greg. Every single word of Still Game is written by those two geniuses. And I am eternally grateful to them for giving me the, the gift of Naveed. Um, so they brought the writing and I brought, I guess, the physicality and the voice. And But I, I knew this guy. I mean, I'm, 
I've met so many individuals. And the thing is, I, I must have met over 100 people that have said to me, oh, did the guys base the beat on my local shopkeeper? Because what Ford and Greg did was, intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know, but they happened upon a real kind of trope. Trope's not the right word, but basically what it is is a lot of, there is a disproportionate number of shops run by Asians right, in Britain, right? And for good reason. Because, for example, I'll give you my dad's, um, my mum and dad, right? My dad, a trained teacher. My mum, a trained social worker, right? My dad watched all of his friends getting promoted. He had his own theories as to why a turban Sikh wasn't getting promoted. So he said, fuck, this for a game of soldiers. Let's try to the business. So, you know, to me, it speaks of, of a real work ethic. Because, by the way, working in a shop, it's not, it's not a picnic, ironically even though they sell picnics. It's really, really difficult working in a shop. So to me, it speaks of really, really hard work ethic. They're going into areas which are pretty rough a lot of the time. Um, they're putting up with a lot of shit. You know, like it's, if you're like maybe the only brown face in the area and you're driving a private Merc with, you know, tan Merc with private number plates, you're going to get, you know, name calling, you're going to get graffiti, all the rest of it. So these guys have put up with a lot of shit through the years. And all they've really got is their banter. Because you can't hit a Ned with a baseball bat anymore. It's not fashionable or legal. So what you've really got is your banter. So you've got this generation of usually guys. It's usually guys that are front of the shop. Um, not always, but mostly. And they've developed this brilliant Scottish-Asian patter with the Scottish-Asian accent. And that's what really Naveed is. So, so many people feel that they know Naveed because they've known a version of Naveed. So that was really clever from the boys to recognize that that thing existed. And obviously what I could bring to that was, well, I can do the accent and I can bring the physicality. I know how this guy walks. I know what he looks like. Um, so all those things kind of completed. And, but it's just the joy of the lines he's given. I mean, he, he would sometimes be only have three or four lines, but they're absolute oh. belters. I cannot wait to say that. I cannot wait to deliver that line. Um, and just the way that telly works is, you see the line, it's the eighth take. So the, the way you meet television is, is that um, the first time you get to see the scripts, you, you set the scripts, and then you all get together, just in your civvies, in your normal clothes, you get together with a production team, makeup, lighting, whoever needs to be there, and the cast sit around the table, and they read the scripts out, and someone times it. And that sometimes is the best day of the job, because you're reading the lines, and you've got an audience, right? And you're getting the big laughs, you're thinking, oh, that'd be brilliant. Oh, can't wait for people to see that. Now, when you record the line, maybe two months later, it's quarter five on a Friday. You've been in your wig and your makeup, which is really, your wig is glued on. You've got the stuff that goes under your eyes, wet, that dries. It's really uncomfortable. You've got your disposable lenses in. You wish you were dead. You've got the itchiest bloody beard on glued in your face. You're wearing three layers of man-made fucking fibers. You smell like beef cooler hoops and you're doing a line for the 10th time and you're thinking, is this even English anymore? I don't even know if it's funny anymore. But you have to think back, no, you know it's funny because when you did it, read through it was funny and it will be funny when people see it. But then you have to wait for the show to go out, for the feedback to come. So, you know, it's, it's that weird kind of staggered process, but it was so nice to be able to, you know, I was given brilliant lines. Ford and Greg have always been brilliant at sharing out the goodness between the characters and giving them their own identity and their own way of speaking and their own funny lines in that they never insisted on hogging the good lines for themselves. So a lot of people compare the show to The Simpsons in the sense that one week your favourite might be Bart, one week it might be Homer, one week it might be Chief Wiggum, one week it might be, hello everybody, Dr. Joe, whatever he's called. I mean, they would just dish out the lines to different people and they weren't precious about who got the laughs as long as there was a laugh to be got, you know? Right. Do, do you know, one of mine and my partner's favourite ever scenes in Steel Game is when Jack and Victor go to decorate Isa's yeah. apartment and it just ends up being a complete catastrophe. But that scene, as you mentioned the word before, it really is pure genius the way they knock over the paint and then the wall. Oh, it's just incredible. Like me and my partner watched that religiously. We'll be watching that um, episode and we we'll have to rewind it and watch that bit again because it just gets us so many times. And there's not many comedies where you've seen them hundreds of, you know, hundreds of times, but you still laugh as if it's the first time you've seen it. And we've still game. 
we do that all the time and that's that, that, that's just incredible do you know what i mean yeah i, I mean you hear that from people that it, it, it's especially now it's on netflix mm. <laughs> you know we're of a generation now that we're even too lazy to put a fucking dvd in do you know what i mean uh, it's all uh, on so really do i have to where, where is the dvd remote? who even knows anymore but it's on netflix now so people will just if they, they'll put it on and have it on in the background like a pal in the room like almost like a dressing gown or something it's comfort because they know they've, they've watched the episodes 20 times they know what's happening um and that's a massive massive compliment because i mean i'll i'll do the same with comedy i love i'll put on a frazier or a cheers or a young ones i've seen a million times but it's like it doesn't matter i know what's coming but it still makes me laugh just as hard and it's interesting you're talking about because that's obviously a lot of that comedy you're talking about in that episode was physical comedy and i do think the Ford and Greg are up there with Lauren Hardy or oh. any of the physical comedians. When they do physical comedy, it's out of the park. It's wonderful. Um, and, and I, you know, another reason I'm incredibly lucky to be in the show is, is that I will see this. I'll get a ringside seat at some of the stuff before anyone else. So remember the, the Hooch episode where the balls of Hooch are going around? Yeah, yeah. Scene? And so I, it's a scene where it's me and Isa and Jack and Victor and I leave the shop, I go behind the beads, and then Isa pulls out the hooch. She's got some secret hooch, the wabba wabba, the katanga. And then she gives it to the boys. So they neck it. And then <laughs> I'm watching this through the beads. Now, here's the thing, right? Of all the cast members, I am the best and not corpsing. I'm great and not laughing. It's probably why I'm so good at playing the beads. I can just be dead burn. No one can make me laugh. Inside, I'm shitting a kidney, but you know, Facially, nothing like Mount Rushmore. I'm really good at that. This was the one time I nearly laughed, and I wasn't even in the scene. So that had been really embarrassing that I ruined their take, and I'm not even on camera. When when Greg goes down and grabs his arm, he flips the flumps. It's, oh. And then Ford does this thing where he goes, He says, You've got the right And I'm I, honestly, I'm seriously trying not to defecate a lung behind those beads because it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And then it's really gratifying to watch that play out. It's every bit as funny as you remember. And I think another incredibly gratifying thing about being in the show is kids love it. And I think that might, part of the reason is, is that, you know, that kind of humor is universal. Physical comedy is universal. Um, and see, when kids dig the show, it's so, it's such a, better than any BAFTA because kids aren't going to lie to you. And if you can make kids laugh, then it's, it's amazing. Um, it still to this day it's baffling in a good way the, the the age range and the kind of demographic range of still game fans four to 94 the singer of the jesus and mary chain jim reed who I, I was scared i met him so basically i was i was um i got to see the jesus and mary chain in the barlands in glasgow right and i, and I hadn't seen them the first time around i was always slightly scared of the singer jim reed he's quite a scary kind of proposition right really moody I mean, brilliant brilliant band and i think part of it was because of his personality so um we'd watched the show this is about six seven years ago so brilliant amazing show loved it and as i'm leaving um a door opens and and, and i don't know if it's the band's a manager or what but a really friendly guy obviously recognized me he says do you want to meet the band i said yeah i'll meet the band so i goes backstage and um jim reed is talking to someone and um i'm kind of like a sort of a spare wheel and um still quite scared of him yeah and eventually i have a chance to speak so i say i'll just make it brief and then i'll leave right i said um jim listen i'm, I'm gonna go now but i just wanted to say that um i never got a chance to see you guys the first time around and what a joy amazing i'm really glad i came you guys are brilliant and then he kept talking but i'll stay and he said um and he's got this very uh deliberate way of speaking like this very enigmatic and he says um uh live in cornwall now and um been there a few years and then um, i've got a pal from glasgow that comes uh, to visit me in cornwall and uh, when me and him are cutting about in Cornwall, we're kind of 
like the Jack and Victor of Cornwall. I'm like, the singer of the Jesus and Mary chain is a still game fan. Get on I'll that. Get in. Um, so it, 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 but it amazes me. Like, you know, you pretty much anyone that's Scottish, well, not anyone, I've seen 90% of Scottish people really love it. And I think they, I think Scots abroad as well, they see it as their wee patch of home. They're almost an umbilical cord to the homeland. And, um, but it's not like shortbread and twee. It's kind of very real and relatable. Um, but it's still Scotland for them, you know? So it's, I, yeah, I, I cannot complain. You know, nah. when people say to me, oh, you're not bored of, you know, doing the lines and getting selfies. Well, why would I be, you know? It's, if, if, it's, if it's made a, if my small part in the thing has connected with people, then of course I'm going to cherish that. I'm not going to be precious about it. In fact, I've, I've, I've jokingly said that I'll be buried as Naveed in full Naveed costume, and I'll be encouraging people to, to toss curly whirlies onto my... Out of date ones. Yeah, out of date, oh, of course. Who did they chide? I'll be who did they chide by then, eh? I'll be you to me, you're going to die here. So uh, I'll we'll be provided at my funeral. You heard me here first. That, you just, um, <laughs> you throw me off there. That was brilliant. Jesus and Mary Chain, by the way, what a band. Fantastic oh, band. And uh, Barrowlands as well. What a venue. So you've been, yeah? I've, 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 better than that, I performed there. No. I, yeah. Oh, good. Now I can talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> I've... Um, I was on tour with a band called the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Yeah, in, yeah, I did the full UK and Ireland tour with them, and we played the Barrowlands, and it was like our seventh, it was either the seventh or the eighth show into this tour. We did 18 dates in total, and we did 10, 10 days consecutive, 10 days without a break, and it was, I mean, you know yourself by performing, it does take a lot out of you. Now, people think, Oh, you're only on the stage for an hour or so or whatever, but you have to be so switched on and the nerves you get and then the, the buzzing, oh, it's just mental. So we did 10 consecutive days. And I think, as I said, on the eighth day, we did the Barrowlands. And for me, I've said it, it's the best venue I've ever performed in. And I've been grateful to perform in some of the best ones. But to stand on that stage and the crowd were fantastic, like absolutely fantastic. We had the patter with people and that's, I think that's what people like about my act as well is I'm really switched on. So when people shout stuff out, I'm so quick at firing it back. And um, just the whole crowd loved what I did because my, my, my act sort of like comedy magic. It's a bit like a modern day version of Tommy Cooper. Yeah. So he was a big influence on my career. Him and Paul Daniels yeah. were like my, my main heroes. And then I sort of put a twist on it. So if you imagine someone like Liam Gallagher, uh, Tommy Cooper, Paul Weller and uh, Paul Daniels, get thrown in a mixer and then you mm. pour it out and the magic mod comes out and that's that's i've got influences of all my heroes and they loved it like i was so grateful like uh and they were just so such lovely people and before i performed i went to the market underneath yeah and um the, the bloke at the venue said i bought one of them hats you know the iconic hat with the ginger oh, hair on the back and they, oh, the see you jimmy hat yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. he said oh i see you jimmy and i went He's like, no, that's what they call them over here. And everyone was like, oh, you got your see your Jimmy out on and that. And well, they were just, it was just you know, brilliant. You know, where, you know where that comes from, don't you? No. The, the Ross Abbott character. See you, Jimmy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's the red hair and the thing. Right. That's what they're called right. see you, Jimmy. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, I've got, I've got to be a bit more clued up about this, but they were brilliant. And here's a little one. The, the bloke who. It was an old guy, not old, I shouldn't say that, but older than me guy, who worked at the venue at the Barrowlands. And um, I had my Parker on and my sunglasses, right? Yeah. And uh, he he didn't speak to me when I first went in there, but he kept looking, he kept looking. And then, like, he heard me speaking to someone. He come over to me and he said, do you know what? Until you started speaking, I thought you were oh. Liam Gallagher. Oh, yeah. Well, to be fair, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, and it... I was like, oh, cheers, mate, cheers. But they're just lovely people in that part of the world. And I've, I've performed in Scotland so many times. And it just, it's, it's the humour. And I think that's what makes the people, do you know what I mean? It's like... Well, it's the same as Belfast. I mean, there's so many yes. so similarities. Even in terms of language. Like, there's a thing that I thought was a Glasgow thing, which is when you go to get your messages, it means you, go to, you get your groceries. 
Mate. <laughs> right, I didn't know that was a thing in Belfast as well, and it is. And they <laughs> use, when I first met my partner, she always said, um, she used to say, we a lot, yeah. and come here, come here, bird. Yeah. Like, oh, come here, bird. And I'm like, what the fuck, what are you on about? It's like, we this, we that. And the big debate that we're having at the moment, so it was, it was Lonnie's birthday today, and we had the family over, and we were having this big debate. So when you go to get fish and chips, do you yeah. say you're going to the fish and chip shop? I would say we're going to Chippy. Oh, God. God see, that's what they say as well. And it, it's complete, oh, yeah. yeah, it's fried me because I, I say, no, you say you're going to a fish and chip shop. And she's like, no, because it sells more than just fish and chips. And I yeah. said, well, so, so does the one back at home, but we still call it a fish and chip shop. And I said to her mum, what would you call it? And she went to Chippy. I was like, well, you're going to be on her side anyway. It's your daughter or, or ask someone yeah. else. And they all said chippy, and I was fuming. I had, to, I had to leave the room and get a can of Red Bull. Honestly, I couldn't believe it. It's, it's weird how people like, get the right old on. When, like, I was having a discussion with this. So um, when I was doing this job in Malta, um, Steve Edge, who was a brilliant, really, really funny guy, great actor, really, really funny guy. Um, and he say, why do people get so upset that bread rolls are called different things <laughs> in different regions of Britain? Why do they get so fucking humble about it? It's a regional, you know. I don't care if it's called a cob or a balm or a whatever. It's fucking, you know, there's more important things to worry about <laughs> than regional differences. But it gets really tribal. No, you're fucking wrong. It's a cob, it's not a balm. What's a balm? And I, yeah, I, 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 well, we're laughing about it because why do people get so annoyed about it? It's like in, in Glasgow and Edinburgh, it's that thing of salt and sauce as well. Oh. Like in Glasgow, it's salt and vinegar and Edinburgh, salt and sauce. And which is better? Why does it? Why does everything have to be better? Why can't things just be different? It's like with bands, isn't it? You know, it's oh. like, oh, who's better, Deep Purple or Led Zeppelin? Well, they're both really good. So you know, why does one have to be better than the other? And what are the criteria anyway? Like I've done a few things where I've been a judge on, like, um, uh, like for the BAFTAs or the RTS Awards or whatever. Yeah. And you get, it'll come to the shortlist, and there'll be like three, and you've got to decide between three different comedies, right? And you're thinking, well, they're different. It's like saying, what's better, a, a chocolate eclair or a tennis racket? How, do you know what I mean? It's like they're, they're both really good at what they do. I mean, I'm not going to play tennis with a chocolate eclair. So in that sense, yeah, the, the tennis racket's better, but equally I'm not going to eat a tennis racket. So it, it's, it's quite a male thing to do as well. It's like top ten albums, top five whatever. Well, it's going to change every day i mean if i ask you what your favorite song if you ask me now what was my favorite song of all time right now i'd probably say fool's gold right but i might sure. choose tomorrow yes yeah because with fool's gold i mean while we're on it i for me it's like the perfect fusion of funk rock and psychedelia yeah or measure um because i i grew up in a punjabi sikh household and what a lot of people don't know is a, a, a lot of the kind of Bollywood stuff from the 70s was really funky. So I've always loved like a, the bongos and the wah-wah guitar. And then I had a bit of a heavy metal upbringing because of my big brother. So I was into like Led Zeppelin and, and, and Saxon and, and Purple and stuff like that. And, um, and then uh, I got seriously into hip-hop in 87. And, then, and that led me down the kind of rare groove kind of soul route. So I listen to Stone Roses. I can hear all those influences. Because, you know, imagine if Ian Brown had, had done a very uh, different lyric. What he's done, he's done a, basically a Manchester indie lyric. But John Squire is playing Funky Wawa. And you've got um, 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 Manny's bass is like pure, would you, probably funk, I would say. And Rennie's got the, the shuffle beat going on. There's a little bit of Clyde Stubblefield, but also a little bit of an indie shuffle. It's all there. Um, and the production's so beautiful, it sounds so vast. So it's, it's a lot. A lot of things at once for me, and I, I will never tire of hearing uh, Fool's Gold. I, I just think it's just just iconic. But, you know, ask me tomorrow, and I might say it's, you know, Atmosphere by Russ Abbott. I'll never say that, to be fair. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's this thing of why, why do we have to, why can't we just be different? Why do things have to be better, you know? 100%, 100%. And I got introduced, on the, funny enough, on the, Brian Jonestown tour on the tour bus they they played all different types of music in the evening and there was this lady you you may be familiar with her and she she's um she did all the 
tunes for like Bollywood films, but apparently she's like the most recorded artist. Or, and I, yeah, I can't remember. Lata Mangeshka or Asha Bosley. They were sisters, actually, yeah. First so you, one. You, you know the song Brimful of Asha by Corner Shop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was about Asha Bosley. So Asha Bosley and Lata Mangeshka were sisters that sang all the playback stuff for all of the movies from the 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s. Right. You're right, probably the most recorded recording artist of all time was singing into her late 80s. Yeah. Beautiful, pure, really pure voice, oh, really yeah. clear. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I come home after the tour, right, and I was playing all sorts of music. I remember the missus coming in one day and going, are you all right? You, you know, what's happening here? And I had a bit of that blazing down on yeah. the speaker and I was like, listen to this, it'll blow your socks off. Have a listen to this woman's voice. It's yeah. just incredible. Like if you, if you have an open mind and you sort of dive into them, I mean, the best thing about music is it's endless. You know, like I'm, my favourite band is The Jam. Yeah. But I don't just stop at The Jam. I would listen to anything. If it sounds good, I'll listen to it. Um, but music is just, you, it's like a library. You take a book out and there's another one, then there's another one. And at yeah. vinyl for me, especially, I love collecting vinyl. And uh, I was most recent one I've been listening to is Noel Gallagher's new album, yeah. Council Skies, and blowing me yeah. away, blowing me away, man. He's, we went to, he's, um, he did an evening in Kingston, and me and the missus went to watch it, and uh, he's just such a funny guy as well. Like, really, he's really funny. Oh, that's, that's really funny. He, he's a brilliant mix of arrogant and self-deprecating. He knows how to do both. So even when he is talking about, yeah, you know, I'm the best songwriter ever, but you know, you know that it's done with tongue in cheek. You, you know, you know, you'll you'll say that stuff, but you kind of know that he's playing with you a wee bit. And he's so funny. He's just naturally, naturally funny guy. See, his brother is. So I've never met. I mean, I went to the Q and I've seen him many times. No, never met him, but I've I've met Liam a few times. And when I first met him, I was with Cole Barrett from the Libertines, oh. and I was like. I need, because that's another band I went oh, on tour yeah. with, right? Uh, yeah. Fucking long, mate, mental well, that was. That's, that's, a, that's a five-part Netflix series, surely, touring with the Libertines. And well, well, I, was on, I was on the tour bus as well, right? And I remember one day we were all playing, um, all playing cards and drink. This, again, back in the drinking days. And we, I lost at cards somehow. That's how, that's how <laughs> I know. How, how did that even happen? And... Um, I remember, I think the, the, the loser had to do a, a, a shot of gin, right? And I hate gin. And there was no shot, there was no shot glasses anywhere. So I got a, I got a coffee cup, a teacup, of course, Baby Shamble song, Gin in Teacups. Yeah. And uh, I, I filled up this whole teacup with gin. I thought, well, I'm committed now. If I do this, they're going to think I'm proper rock and roll anyway. So I smashed it back. About 10 seconds later, I ran straight in the toilet and brung it all up. But... Uh, yeah, I was spoke about a few times on that tour bus, yeah. but again, brilliant, brilliant band, and 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 a, they're like a family for me for giving me an opportunity. But uh, so I forgot what I was going to say. We were talk <laughs> talking about um, yes, Liam. Sorry, yeah, sorry, my head's been fried recently. Sorry, mate. So I met Liam in um, a pub called Nambuka, and uh, he was I think he was speaking to Gordon Smart. I think he was doing a small interview with him. Yeah. And we, we had it. We had a chat. Gordon, again, lovely bloke, yeah. very nice bloke I got to know. And me and me and Liam were chatting. Oh, Cole said, go on, go and speak to him. So I went, all right, Cole, hello, Liam. Right. He said, this is my mate, the Magic Mod. He went, Magic Mod? What a fucking name that is, man. Are you in a band? <laughs> and I went, mate, I'll make a better sound with a guitar if I throw it down the stairs. And he went, that's a bit like fucking me, our kid. And I was like, right, listen, do you want to see a card trick? And he was like, oh, you're being serious. A magician, I was like, yeah, yeah. So I showed him a trick, but I was so nervous because he's like one of my heroes. And I did this trick, and the first one weren't that good. He was like, oh, yeah, it was all right. I said, right, one more to win you over, and he was like, fucking go on. And so I done this trick on him, and he completely blew him away, right? And and the the moment was, he literally after that trick, he gave me a big hug, and there was a photographer there who took the photos, and I got this photo of him grabbing my hand, and then a picture of him hugging me. And that is, it's just a priceless moment. Do you know what I mean? People could look at it and go, oh, that's a good photo. But the whole story about meeting him and doing that, yeah. you know, the whole, um, that people say, don't meet your heroes, right? Well, I've met every single one of mine and they haven't disappointed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, good. It doesn't always happen. No. And, yeah. and, and you're right there. Cause I've, 
I mean, I'm sure you've been and you've seen it as well. The people you've worked with, not I'm not saying you've seen people who are arrogant and that, but like I've been in dressing rooms with certain people and that, and they think they're bigger than what they are. And you think, mate, like the people out there you're playing to, they're the ones who have got you where you are. I mean, I know you've got to have some level of talent and that, but if people don't buy your records or don't support you and don't buy your tickets, yeah. why why would you be an arsehole for them? Anyone who comes up yeah. to me and says, I love what you do can I have a photo? And I'm like, fuck me, you want a photo with me? Seriously? Yep. Fuck it. It's, it, I'm so grateful for it. And that goes back, similar to what you said, like when people come up to you and talk about Naveed and Steel Game and you're so humble about it and you're so grateful and I love that, man. I love it when people are like that, like down to well, earth with it. Yeah, all I'll say is if you're polite to me, I'll be polite back. I mean, some people, are, they can be arseholes sometimes and sometimes as well the Scottish thing of they kind of want to trip you up a little bit but what I do then is I'm disarmingly nice to them. So they've got nothing. They walk away like, oh, fuck, he's quite nice. You know, <laughs> they're looking for something in on you and they can't. Um, but yeah, for the most part, do you know what? People are polite. And yeah, I'm, I'm, why would I take that for granted? It amazes me sometimes when people have almost contempt for their audience. You think, yeah, you're talented, but you, you wouldn't be getting in that car or living in that house or having this career. It wasn't for you know people paying to come and see you. I mean, I always make a point that when we do these Q and A's of thanking people for coming and for the support through the years. I mean, when we did the live shows at the Hydro, I mean, there was. Uh, did you manage to make it long to any of the live shows? I didn't, mate. No, I didn't. No. Well, I mean, look, the pricing structure's got nothing to do with us, right? It's fucking Ticketmaster, who, by the way, can go fuck themselves. Mm. But we were getting stories about people taking out payday loans to come and see us live. And you think, oh my God, I don't want people to financially suffer to come to see a show. They shouldn't have to, they should be, it should be affordable. But also that level of commitment and that level of affection, what, you know, it's, it's, it's just incredibly humbling, you know, to think that people would do that. You know, the, the fact is, is that when we did that first run, um, we were scheduled and contractually to do four shows in the Hydro and we sold out 21. Mad. Um, so I'm never, ever going to forget that, you know. I mean, you know, I'd, I'm would i playing in a venue where I'd seen Prince perform. The Prince, Prince is the only person I've actually stalked. So, you know, um, I, you know, I've seen Fleetwood Mac there. I've seen The White Stripes. I've seen um, Queens of the Stone Age. I've seen... And, and the very fact that that audience put me on that stage, I'm never, ever going to forget that. You know, you, you can't... How can you? Of course not. That's quite a Scottish thing as well. I think it's like um, I've always said in this: if you're in Scotland and you say, "Do you know who I am?" <laughs> Someone will say, "Have you got Alzheimer's? Where's your carer?" <laughs> it's the only reason you can say that. Do you know who I am? If you genuinely have forgotten yourself, who you are, fucking try that shit here. Honestly, mate. Good luck. Wow. And I'm sure it's the same in Belfast. Oh, mate. Uh, you know. I, we have this thing in Scotland called a Kenya dad. I know your father. Uh, so it doesn't matter yeah, who you are. I know who your dad is. I've seen you in nappies. You know, you know, and sometimes that can go a bit too far where it's like you can begrudge people's success. Like I've heard people talk about Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly is a living hero of mine. I mean, I think he might be the best storyteller that's ever been born, actually. Oh, genius. And, genius. you know, I've got, you know, I know someone who is a taxi driver. And uh, and you'll say, I Connolly get lucky. He wasn't even the funny one at the dockyards. Sorry, Billy Connolly got lucky. You're telling me that he went to Australia and had them in the palm of his hands through luck, you dick. And that's quite a Scot that's quite a Scottish thing of, you know, like allowing his success. And also, I why did you move away from Glasgow? Well, Glasgow's lovely, but it rains eight days out of seven. So of course he's going to move away. It could be richer than Croesus, but you're not going to be able to afford a magnet that's going to bring the sun close to Glasgow. You need to go where the sun is. So it, it, that, it can be slightly over the top, that kind mm -hmm. of like Kenya dad's um, uh, um, uh, uh, attitude. But for the most part, it keeps you grounded. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to, before I let you go, because I mean, I, I remember saying to you, we only do half an hour, but I've just, I've loved chatting to you mate honestly and i hope you i hope you have as well man that's been lovely it's been great it's good fun appreciate that mate but i'm going to ask you for a, 
Are you still got your watch? You're not that good. I know, I know. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, all right, so a bit of advice. I'm doing a bit of stand-up comedy at the Belfast Empire uh, next month. Um, first time I've done a bit of stand-up, but without... I'm going to throw in a couple of magic tricks, right? Um, I've got about 10 minutes, I believe, and my the jokes I've gone for... I think they're all right, to be fair. I mean, it's old school yeah. sort of stuff, you know, because I'm not... These days, I've seen a lot of comedians who... It seems like they, they just rip straight into the, 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 the people in the audience. There's, and I, I, Don't get me wrong, I love that. And when people... But I wait till people heckle me, and I'm yeah. like, oh, here we go. Listen, I've got a joke on comebacks here. Come yeah. on, wait, here we go. But So I'm doing, as I said, first time I've ever really done it without doing the magic. What advice would you give me? Well, we've been talking about Billy Connolly. I mean, Billy Connolly was a folk musician whose stand-up grew out of him playing folk music. The stand-up became the stuff he said between the songs. It sounds to me like you're doing that, and it's obvious speaking to you now. You're an actual storyteller, and you've got you've got a, a kind of what we call a gala swagger. You've got you've got a way about you. Um, I, I would even. It's interesting as well. If you're still going to do the magic, then you can use that as the kind of tent poles. Because you know they're bankers, don't you? Mm, mm. So, like Tommy, Tommy Cooper. I mean, is there anyone funny in the world than Tommy Cooper? Nah. But, you know, he, you know, he he never just did the gags, did he? He always had the magic uh, to punctuate. So you've got that. So you've got something that stand ups don't have. So you know, if if you're not feeling confident about about the materials going, you've got a gag to go to, a, 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 trick. a trick to go. To. But also, as well, you know, as well in the back of your mind that you've dealt with hecklers. So you've got that as well in your in your uh, in your uh, back catalogue so you've got nothing to worry about you've got it all there you've got stuff that regular stuff if i did start tomorrow i'm gonna i'm you know I, i've got a dance i can do i've got tricks i can do it'd be just be me in the stand-up um but also you've been on the mm. you know the energy you need you probably have a way of walking and that that that's what you'll do that's what billy Connolly did he didn't really change what he did on stage he just the music got less the stand-up became the bigger thing and eventually he just ditched the ukulele or the banjo till the end of the act because he had enough. And that will be your evolution. If you want to pursue it, you'll probably find you don't even have the time to do the magic tricks. The magic tricks, yeah, Jerry Sadovitz is another example. Yeah, yeah. He could probably just ditch the magic if he wanted to. But he's reached that stage through doing it loads and loads of times. But it sounds to me like you're the full package already. I don't know you need that. I don't know about that. I wish I was, man, but... It's, it's something I've always wanted to do, but people who have been to my act, they say, I weren't expecting you to be funny. Like, you're, you just work so well. You've got the swagger of a front man. You, well, you've well, got you the, get that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what you've got. And that's, that sort of confidence is, if you've already got it, it's like, it's, it's like I, I look at someone like Kevin Bridges, right? Mm. He owns that scene. He just prowls it. You know, he does that thing where he does a good joke. He looks to the side. Like, this is going to be funny. And that's probably 50% of the battle. If you go on stage, like, like you know you're going to be funny and you have that confidence, mm. that's, the audience feel uncomfortable if you feel, if you're in any way nervous or diffident. But you, your natural manner is, you've got the swag already. So I think you're cooking. I think you're, I think you're good. I have to let you know how I'll get on. But I am, as I said, there was no way I weren't going to chuck in a couple of magic tricks. So I've doing like probably four gags, then one trick and then one gag and then the last trick. And the, the joke, I just love, I've, I've sort of incorporated it into having like um, a Belfast nightlife. So I'm going to say Belfast is a wild night out, isn't it? Eh? And people, hey, I said, I went out to this bar the other day. I walked into this bar and I saw this woman of a rather large size dancing on the table. I went up to her, I said, great legs, love. She said, do you think so? I said, oh, I. Any other table would have fucking broken by now. <laughs> there you are. What do you reckon? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. the, the way he threw it away as well, it was perfect. Yeah. You don't need advice from me. Do, man. You're someone I, use, I love watching. Listen, it's going to be the same. When I watch you now on Steel Game, I go... I know him now. Yeah, one of my mates, me and him. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, but, yeah. Honestly, mate, I, I can't thank you enough. And um, yeah, thank you.
Thank you so much for joining me for this because I've really enjoyed it. I, I didn't know how long we were going to do, but it's it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, mate. How long have we been on? About, about an hour and ten minutes or so. And I know I know why you kept me on so long. You've had my fucking watch oh, off me. I'll have a word. How did you do that? that? Here we go. Guess what it's been? Oh! <laughs> do, you, do you know what, though? When you did say, how long are we on? I thought, fuck me, he's going to give me an invoice in a minute. <laughs> Hey, Dick, be a <laughs> You've got <laughs> give me. You've got to give me your best Navid line. Come on. I okay, right. Get it right up. Okay. But no, no, my my favourite one, and it's, it, people don't remember this, but to me it's almost like hip-hop. So it's, it's not a line that Ford and Greg originated, but it's a line they gave me to say. And it was the episode when um, <clears throat> the, the, the pub quiz is happening and uh, oh. Bobby fancies Margot. So Isa's in the shop, and um, I think there might be romance in the air with Bobby and Margot. And I say, "Gear to rest, Isa. He's gonna get his hole in the barrel of fairies." <laughs> and it's, it, he couldn't get his hole in the barrel of fannies. It's just one gold in it. It is gold. Yeah, but the one that the, most people just like it when. Um, in fact, the guy chased me in IKEA once. And he says, oh, mate, please, please. He's holding his phone up. Please, please, could you call my wife a junkie bastard? Okay, we'll save your marriage. You junkie bastard. They seem to quite like that. So, yeah. Junkie bastard. Junkie bastard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, honestly. Listen, thank you so much for your time, well, thank mate. You. I really mean that. And when you're in Belfast, I'd love to grab a coffee with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, if you're ever in Glasgow, we'll, we'll go to the Barlands. 100%. I think, I think I'm in Glasgow again soon, but I'll keep you posted, man. Well, because, definitely, um, yeah. definitely, man. And uh, enjoy the rest of your week. You as well. Thank you for your Good time, time, mate. Thank All you. the best. Thank All you. Best. Cheers. See ya. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. All right. Here's the bit. It's always trying to click off after you've done it, isn't it? Yeah. All right. It's that button there. Right. Love you and leave you, mate. Well, that was brilliant from my behalf. What a lovely guy. Really is a lovely guy. And um, for, be, for me being a big fan of Steel Game, to have that character or to have him on, um, who plays probably my favourite character in, in the actual show, brilliant. And uh, I hope you all enjoyed that chat. And I'm going to love you and leave you all now because I'm going to get a KFC because I'm starving. Enjoy the rest of your evening. God bless. Let's go.